Welcome back to America Speaks. I am delighted once again to welcome Carol Walker of Wild Hoofbeats to part two of our conversation on America's wild horses. Let's face it, the way our beloved wild horses are being treated and rounded up is simply a travesty. I can't even get my head around what these herds of wild horses are victim of. In our last episode, we discussed roundups and the Bureau of Land Management's agenda. Today, I would like to begin with the brutality of sterilization. So to break down a little more, to get a greater sense of clarification of everything that these horses face, let's talk, sadly, about sterilization. Let's face it, the BLM has been doing experiments on wild horses in regards to sterilization. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. So there is proven birth control that works, and it is available. It's not like the BLM does not have tools to manage the horses that are humane and safe. They do. But in 2016, they got all these grants. They got like $10,000 in grant money, and they were going to do all these sterilization experiments. And the first one was going to be in Oregon, and they were going to do it at the Burns Corral, And Oregon State University was going to be there and it was going to be their research study and they were going to manage it and everything like that. So the very first thing that we did is we started writing letters to Oregon State University and we started putting the pressure on the university because what they were going to do amounted to torture. One of the experiments that they were going to do is ovariectomy via colpotomy. And what that involves is they take the hand of the veterinarian, takes a chain on a stick, puts that into the mare, and rips out her ovaries. Mm. And it is the most cruel and dangerous thing. The vet can't even see what he's doing. He has to feel around. This is a wild mare who's in a squeeze chute, terrified for her life, not used to being handled, and it's at a holding facility that is a filthy, dirty environment. This is horrific. I can't even handle the reality that this could be done with any kind of trained veterinarian allowing this. We couldn't either. So we put the pressure on Oregon State University and they withdrew. Oh, thank God. This was a huge victory for us. And there were also three lawsuits that were going on and they withdrew. So in 2018, they decided they were going to try again and they were going to use Colorado State University. We put the pressure on the university. Once again, we said, this is going to reflect very badly on you. We contacted the board of trustees. We tried to get articles out and the university withdrew from the study. But then the BLM decided they were going to go ahead without any oversight from a university, which would have at least been helpful. And they were going to go ahead and do this. And so we had a lawsuit to stop this and we won. So now these horses that had been rounded up are no longer going to go through this horrific procedure, but probably a lot of them will end up slaughtered because they're getting sent to holding facilities and they will be sold and end up in hands that are not kind. 
Where are they now? Have we had an outcome? In Hines, Oregon, BLM corrals, and people can adopt them now. Can you tell our listeners, where would we begin to put out the APB on this? So people can actually go and visit the horses. They can just go there and drive around and look at the horses, and they can go in the office and they can adopt them. I have the address for you. It's 28910 Highway 20 West, Hines, Oregon, and the phone is 541-573-4400. And do we know how many horses are there? 846 and 41 burrows. Oh my gosh. Minus a few burrows that have been adopted and are now on their way to Skydog Sanctuary. So this herd, the Warm Springs herd that they were going to, they tried to take almost 100% of the horses. And uh, they tried to get all of the burrows, but they got 41 of them, and they think there's 30 left. These were the only burrows in the entire state of Oregon. So they're going to release horses into the area. They said they're only going to release 66 horses to leave only 96 horses in a 500,000-acre area. I mean, it's just so wrong. But anyway, there are 846 horses There are some very beautiful horses there. There are Appaloosas. Appaloosas are kind of rare. And there are some really outstandingly beautiful horses there. So, um, yes, if you have a yen to go get a wild horse, you can. And there is also a new incentive program, which I feel very negative about. But it might help people who are going to go try to adopt. They are now, the BLM is going to pay you $500 within 60 days of adopting a wild horse. And then after a year, another $500. And this incentive program is geared to try to clear out the corrals. I have mixed views about it because I'm concerned that what it's going to do is it's going to make people who are greedy, um, they're willing to keep the horse for a year because all the expenses are paid and then they can turn around and sell it to slaughter and make some more money. You know, a lot of times we get information and we feel we're being informed. Today's program is an opportunity, actually, to save a life. Not everybody can adopt a horse, etc., but there are people who may be able to mitigate a problem here. And I also want to emphasize to you, it's an opportunity for all of our listeners to reach out to groups who also could in the area find a way to bring a couple of these horses into their stables, correct? Absolutely. So I think we have to be very careful. This idea only works if you really want to care for a horse for its lifetime, period. Yes. Otherwise, you're not part of the solution. You're part of the problem. So let me ask you a bit about the court ruling against the BLM and the impact on the checkerboard roundup case. Oh, okay. So the most recent checkerboard roundup case, there have been several. What happened was I was there for most of the roundup and we noticed that the BLM was not counting the folds and they had said they were going to take a certain number of horses and they were taking also foals and not counting them toward that total. This was not part of the environmental assessment that the BLM had prepared. And so actually it was illegal that they were doing that. And what we were really concerned about is that they were going to go and make this a precedent that they would say, okay, we're going to remove 200 horses. And then, oh, by the way, they have foals with them. So they're actually removing 304. 
So we actually won this, but unfortunately we just won it and the horses are long gone. Oh, no. It's not like the horses could be put back. And that's the problem. We tried to get a temporary restraining order during the roundup. And we were on tender hooks waiting to see if BLM was going to stop this roundup when they got to the number that they had said. And they didn't. And we didn't win it with the judge. It's very hard. So they ended up taking 1,940 horses instead of 1,540. Oh, my God. They took 2,000 horses? Yes. And where are those horses now? What would your estimation be? Initially, part of them were sent to the Rock Springs Corrals in Wyoming. Part of them were sent to private facilities in Bruno, Idaho and Axtell, Utah. And the public was not allowed to see these horses, adopt these horses, do anything with these horses because they were private facilities. And then the horses were shipped out to different areas and they did a annual tour at both Axtell and Bruno, both of which I attended. But by the time I got there, most of the horses had been shipped out. So there were horses that I never saw again. It was so frustrating because the previous roundup in the checkerboard area, we had been able to get a lot of these horses adopted because they went to Canyon City and Rock Springs and both of those facilities, people can go there and see them and adopt them. But the BLM doesn't care. You know, they just want to get rid of these horses. So they're actually making this a clandestine move at this point. Yes. And is this premeditated? Is this worse during the Trump administration or is this business as usual? I think it's been worse during the Trump administration. When the courts realize this is an emergency, what is the point of any delay when they know this is a life and death emergency? Basically, what you're finding with these judges is they really don't give a damn? No, it's not that. It's that the BLM makes it that it's a terrible financial burden on them if they don't go ahead at that time. What's the burden? So Judge Frudenthal had to make a decision about what was more urgent, the horses being removed or the BLM having paid millions of dollars to this contractor and having the roundup not go forward. But but then you have to look at the origin of them going to the contractor, you know, investing these millions of dollars for the removal when the argument is against the removal to begin with. So this money is badly spent. Of course, but you have to, when you're doing a lawsuit against the BLM, you're trying to do something you can actually win on when they have violated some sort of policy or law. So that's what you have to do. I mean, that, of course, of course, it never should have happened, but it does. It does. The BLM is entirely funded by federal funds, correct? The BLM is a federal agency in the Department of the Interior, yes. Wild horses are managed federally. They are not managed by states. And that is a very good thing. The last thing on earth you would want to do is have Utah be in charge of wild horses in their state. There would be no horses left. So it is better that it is federally managed than state managed. What is the possibility of ever herding any of these wild horses onto Native American reservations? Well, one of the problems right now is that on reservations, there are uh, Native Americans who turn their own horses out loose because they can't afford to feed them. And then they multiply. And then what they do is they get the coutures 
same contractor in to round them up and send them to slaughter. So this is, of course, this is a brilliant idea that other people have had, but that is not what we need to have happen. What we need to have happen is to keep the horses out on public lands where they belong, where they are currently found. I want to get a sense from you on the 15-mile wild horse herd in Wyoming and what that means. Okay, so I've actually been there several times. And it's a very wild area. It is truly in the middle of nowhere. It's 35 miles from Warland, Wyoming, which most people have not even heard of. And it's kind of spooky because the times I've been, I've been the only person out there. And there are hoodoos and buttes and mesas. It's very beautiful, very dry and very wild. And the horses, when they see you, in the car, they will run from a mile away. Good for them. It's a 70,000 acre area. And there's also some state lands and some private lands in there. And the horses have not been touched since 2009. That was the last roundup in October of 2009. So what's happened basically is that the horses have pretty much stabilized their population. They haven't grown that much in 10 years. You know, part of the National Academy of Sciences report to the BLM was rounding horses up every two or three years actually increases the population growth because you have stress on the population and they're like, we have to breed more. And so if you leave the herd alone, there is some stability. But the BLM has, I guess they have some extra money this year and they've decided they, they want to get rid of most of the horses there. So they are planning to do a roundup of, in this area. And I really think what they should be doing is studying what's working. Oh my God. Is there any way to mitigate this before they pay the millions of dollars to the next contractor? The comment period just ended uh, about a week and a half ago. So we're going to wait and see what the BLM comes back and says they're actually going to do. The thing is, I tell people that they need to comment on these plans that the BLM announces, because otherwise the BLM says, well, nobody cared. They thought it was fine. So we went ahead. The comments don't necessarily do anything, but it's important to comment. And then when you're in a lawsuit, you have your comments as part of the lawsuit. Okay, so how can our listeners actually engage on being part of the comments? Where would they write? And what to, where exactly do they find the place to make the comments? As I said, the comment period is closed right now for this. What the listeners need to do is sign up for our blog and follow our blog on, we, we do news and alerts. We issue alerts to people and we say, we need you to make comments here for this. And we do this so that people know what they need. Okay, so right now, let's identify how people can sign up for this blog, because I sure as hell am going to do that. So go to wildhorsefreedomfederation.org and sign up for our blog. Okay. I wanted to just mention two other groups that are doing really good work that we do work in concert with from time to time. American Wild Horse Campaign, they have been doing most of the lawsuits, and the Cloud Foundation. These are both organizations also that issue news and alerts about when you can comment, what you can do to help. So all three of us are good places to sign up 
to find out what's going on, to follow us on social media and get involved. So we could still have an effect on the outcome of that herd? Absolutely. Talking to your senators and representatives. Absolutely. Okay. That herd is still there and it still can remain there, correct? Yes. The roundup won't occur until at the earliest, the end of July. It'll be sometime this late summer or fall. This needs some media attention beyond our podcast. This needs television appearances. Do you know of any group or yourself or celebrity or commentator that has joined forces with you that could actually be a spokesperson? Well, there are any number of celebrities who are in favor of the wild horses. There are celebrities that are working with certain groups. That's all happening getting on television and radio and any sort of media is a very good thing. And when I have that opportunity, I do it. It's not like for lack of trying. It's a desperate situation and the clock is ticking. So once again, asking our listeners not only to get involved, this isn't casual right now. You have until the end of July. That's no time at all. And knowing how the BLM operates, they really need to be stopped in their tracks. And so far as rounding up the Anaki horse herd, right? Yes. And people need to also know that there are ways to manage herd numbers using birth control that are humane and that the horses are not starving to death. They are not dying of dehydration. And it is not a situation where the BLM needs to urgently remove these horses. It's only urgent in the minds of the livestock raisers. Clearly, this is money versus life. I don't think we have any discrepancy here. This is a need and a lust for agro, for lands, for development, for fracking, for mining, whatever, versus the lives of thousands of wild horses. And I think one of the problems in the food chain is that people are exhausted and don't know what to fight for. Well, this is the kind of issue to fight for where you can look at this and say you actually can make a difference to save their lives. Absolutely. Before I let you go, can you give us a sense of a day in the life of a wild horse? In most of the herds, you have families where there will be an older, wise mare, and she'll be the lead mare. She's the one who knows where the water is, where the best grazing is, and she leads the family. You have the stallion bringing up the rear, and he is the protector, and he fights for his family, and he makes sure that they're safe. And then you have the youngsters, and they're always fun to watch. So when you have a new baby in the family, you'll see lots of naps. And sometimes you have all the horses in the entire family, including the stallion, lie down to sleep. And this is one of my very favorite times to observe them because they all lie down to sleep and then they get up and they get active. The baby's nurse, they'll play, and it's really wonderful to watch. And then some of these families, you'll see mares that have been together for 10 years. The stallion might've had this family for many, many years and he stays with them until he gets old and he can't take care of them anymore. And the young fillies, will leave home when they reach estrus and they find a new family for themselves with another stallion. And the boys, when they get a little too rambunctious, when they get to be about two or three, get kicked out by dad. And they form bachelor bands 
and you'll see them running around causing all sorts of trouble all across the horse range. They're really fun to watch and they play fight and they practice being stallions for their family when they finally get it. And you'll see families will hang out together. The stallions might know each other for a very long time and they have respect for each other, but they kind of like to be around other families. So watching this interaction between the different family members and the different families is so wonderful. There's nothing like it. Well, I think one of the things that I look at with this extraordinary blessing of the notion of a wild horse is it really speaks to me of freedom. And it really speaks to me of the frontier of what this country was great at in terms of us really having a celebration of how we use our commons and our land. We should not be having this interview today to discuss the treachery and the threat that this species is experiencing. To me, almost feels sacrilegious to this country. I feel we are certainly not informed as a citizenry when it comes to wild horses. I feel that it's once again, we're looking at an issue that is being steamrolled by an area of government that is once again playing to the pockets of a deep lobby. And I, for one, as an American, am sick of it. So I feel that America Speaks is taking a firm stand in opposing this mentality. We have got to learn to not only stand up for what's right, we have to learn to stand up for life. I am so encouraged and inspired by what you do every day because honestly, I don't know how you face this without wringing your hands together in frustration. Well, there are other days like that, but then, you know, I remember these horses and that if I don't stand up for them, nobody is going to do that. So that's what inspires me when I think about these horses. Well, they really are lucky to have you and we are lucky to have them. And so as we close today, I just want to really take my hat off to you. You know, personally, it makes me want to go and see these herds. It should. And every one of us should be aware of what they have in their glory and what we are taking from them, right? Yes, absolutely. People should get out there and see these horses while they are there. And not only while they're there, Carol, keeping them there, right? Yes, absolutely. So as we close, just let us spell out how people can reach you, where they can find your website, where they can find your blog, where and who they can write to once again. Your website is, if you could spell it out. It's wildhoofbeats.com. W-I-L-D-H-O-O-F b-e-a-t-s.com. Where would they find your blog? On the website. And then wildhorsefreedomfederation.org. And if anybody wants to write to senators and legislators and congresspeople, what would be the best header to get their attention so that it doesn't get tabled? Well, it's anything about saving our wild horses. So in opposition to the BLM rounding up a specific herd, would that be accurate? Absolutely. They can definitely talk about what whatever that particular herd is or just how important the wild horses being on our public lands is. 
and that they be preserved in the wild. So what kind of legislation are we looking to find coming up in terms of protection for wild horses? The SAFE Act. We've been trying to get it through to prevent wild horses being sent to slaughter. We don't have slaughterhouses in this country anymore, but what is happening is the horses get shipped to either Canada or Mexico for slaughter. And so the SAFE Act would close that door. And when is that up for a vote? It's not right now. It's almost passed several times. So it's just a matter of following the organizations that will alert you when things are up for a vote. And we can tell you when you need to call and write and contact your senators and representatives. And those of you who live in Utah, Nevada, Wyoming, Oregon, Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, California, reach out to your Congress people and tell them it's time to bring the SAFE Act to the floor and pass it, correct? Yes. Well, this has just been an amazing conversation today. I'm actually really troubled and feeling a sense of, I don't want to feel despair, but I feel the battle is a bit uphill and maybe I'm incorrect, but I also feel there's hope because I look at what you do every day, Carol, and you know what? These horses have you and they have your fellow advocates and activists, uh, but it's not enough. And I think that's fair to say. And I also am reaching out for all of us to be part of your army because you need public support. Yes, absolutely. And in closing, do you have anything to say? Well, I think it's not something to despair about. I think that we can save our wild horses. And as many people as we can get involved, the better. Those of us that do visit your website, another big perk would be to really enjoy the lives of these herds because you have a lot of film and video, etc. on your website, correct? Photographs. I just do photographs. But yes, there's lots of photographs. Well, you're talking to a photojournalist, so I can't wait. Thank you so much, Carol. I am inviting everyone who's listening to join me to get far more active and truly reach out to your representatives in Congress and in the Senate to call for an end of the persecution of this species. I think we can all agree after listening to both conversations that we as citizens cannot allow these ongoing roundups. And with the roundups comes the separation of these wild horse families. It is just brutal. I'm fully aware that the feds have been warehousing wild horses in an effort to preserve the cattle ranchers' public land so that their livestock can graze. They see wild horses as a nuisance, fueling conflict among commercial interests, bureaucrats, and animal advocates. Wild horses have as much a right to live and breed on our open lands throughout our vast western states as any other herd, especially since they are now truly endangered. Our goal should be to protect America's wild horses and burros by stopping the federal government's systematic elimination of these national icons from our public lands. It is unthinkable. The government can't just continue removing wild animals from the land and warehousing them at an escalating expense, which it has now done for decades. The herds in Nevada and Wyoming are still there but not for long. Please, 
go to Carol Walker's website, wildhoofbeats.com. That's www.wildhoofbeats.com, W-I-L-D-H-O-O-F-B-E-A-T-S.com. Or you can also go onto the website of the wildhorsefreedomfederation.org or American Wild Horse Campaign or the Cloud Foundation. All of these sites will give you plenty of information on what is at stake and what cases are coming up and more important, what roundups are coming up and how you can try to stop them. This has been a privilege today for us to have an opportunity to not just learn about the plight of our wild horses, but realize that we still can do something about this. It is up to us to use social media to spread the word and contact the BLM and our elected officials. I want to invite everyone to America Speaks podcast with Tish Lampert on Apple Podcasts. And also, please go to our website at www.tishlampert.org for news of my forthcoming book. And once again, I want to thank James Koblenz and Kim Langbacker, without whom this episode would not be possible. And remember, America Speaks believes every one of us has a story. And a voice.